Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week we're having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. In today's episode we will be talking about grief or rather one way to experience grief as You will hear it from Sophie, everyone copes with grief in a different way. Sophie will tell us how she found herself as a single mother of her daughter of two years old at the time, after losing her first husband, what worked for her at the time, how she then found love again, and she will also give us some valuable advice on how to really help people who are grieving. I hope you will enjoy this episode. I know I say this all the time, but for you it's free and for me it is truly helpful. The best way to support this episode is to write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. And you can also take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure. But without further ado, let's begin. Papa, papa, en faisant cette chanson. Maman, papa, maman, papa. Hi Sophie, how are you today? I'm really well, thank you, Julie, and uh, great to be here. Yes, so great to, to have you on. But so before we jump in, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, of course. So I am Sophie Edmund and I am the founder of the Art of Women's Leadership, which was a business that um, I founded last year during uh, lockdown. Uh, so back in the summer and a little bit more information about me. So uh, I'm a mother of three, a daughter who's coming up for 24 and two teenage boys who are 16 and 14. Um, I'm married and also from a business perspective, I have been running my own business for the last eight years. Um, I have a total of 35 years and counting in corporate world. Um, I did start when I was very young, um, having left school with um, not very many qualifications. And I've spent the last 35 years, uh, as I said, walking, working across a number of different organizations and a number of different sectors. I started my career in finance and 
I have spent the last 20 or so years in HR learning and development, training, coaching, and I'm also a speaker. And what really gets me out of bed every morning is about how I can make a difference. And one of those ways is through the art of women's leadership. So I help uh, organisations to create more gender equity and diversity. Mm, that sounds perfect. That sounds lovely. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's very needed at the moment. But so last time we had a chat and you have, you, you've had like a super full life of mm-hmm. in all like in terms of business, working and raising your kids, your personal life. Could you please tell us a bit more about like your life uh, and what oh. happened? Okay. So um, as I said, I left school at 17 uh, because basically I had had enough of full-time education and I ended up working in a plastic cup vending machine factory. So the factory made plastic cups that you find in Mm -hmm. vending machines. Um, And I started there in 1986. And uh, back in that that time, um, I shared my office with a chain smoker and also um, got paid cash uh, every week in a little brown envelope. So it was really, really interesting time to be working. Uh, Emails didn't exist. Um, Communication was letters, memos, and I didn't even have my own computer. So it just goes to show how over the last 30 odd years, the world has moved forward. I also met my first husband. Uh, We started going out just before my 18th birthday. He was coming up for uh, 22. And got together, dated, and we decided to um, get married. So I got married in 1989 when I was 20 and he was 24. A lot of people said that was very, very young, Um, but that's what we wanted to do. But also in the meantime, uh, we bought a house together, which we started renovating. And also I continued with my studies because I knew that actually I I hadn't been, uh, there was more I could could learn. So I did a a BTEC national um, diploma in business studies and then continued into the Institute of Credit Management exams. Anyway, so got married at 20, uh, he was 24, everything was hunky-dory, we moved house and found another doer upper which was um, another story in itself. But then when I was uh, 28 I found out I was pregnant so um, the baby wasn't planned. We were going to have a family at some point but in the middle of renovating a house and doing a load of building work, uh, having a newborn baby wasn't a very good idea. But anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we had uh, we had my daughter. So she arrived in 1997, fairly straightforward pregnancy. Uh, there was no, no real issues. And again, fast forward to um, 1999, September. And my husband, so the father of my uh, daughter, um, was killed in an accident. So I was 30 years old, he was 34, and it was obviously, as you can imagine, one of the worst experiences Mm. ever. And and so I was left 30 years old um, with a two-year-old daughter on my own after 10 years of marriage. And so um, I thought to myself, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And one of those things was obviously to be a mother to my daughter and potentially bring her up as Mm a single parent. Did you really have time to to recover um, or were you already not pressured, but, you know, you you had to to take care of your daughter anyway? So did you really have that time to really feel the emotions and and be sad? Yeah, it was was really interesting because at the time I wanted a 
sense of normality, whatever normality looks like and feels like. So I had to, I almost went into this, um, I've got to get through this mode, which is really difficult to describe, but I, need, I knew that I needed to get through a funeral. Um, I knew that I needed to get through dealing with my mother-in-law and my brother-in-law. Okay, obviously the, the mother and brother of my deceased husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I had people obviously around me who were in total utter shock as well because they'd lost a friend, um, cousin and, you know, all those different things. I, my family as well um, had lost a brother-in-law, a son-in-law and so on. Um, mm-hmm. I also had a two-year-old asking where her dad was. Um, and, and also knowing that at some point in the future there would have to be an inquest uh, because that was the way, because it was an accident, that was the way that the, 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 the British legal system works. And so I just thought, I'm just, just going to almost deal with this life to life, day to day aspect. But once the funeral had taken place, which was about two weeks after, I just sat there and I thought, I need, I need normality. And that normality for me was actually going back to work. Um, I had the most fantastic boss called Peter um, at the time. I was, I'd been at the organisation for about 18 months, two years, and it was my first management role. And, and, I, and I rang him and said, I'd like to come back to work. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yes, because I need a sense of purpose. I need a sense of normality. And also in the meantime, my daughter was at um, nursery. And so for her, I was still taking her in um, because, again, that was trying to keep that sense of, of business as usual, if you like. Um, and I remember that the day I, my first day back at work, I walked into um, the office and it was a big open floor and where my desk was, was right at the beginning by the main doorway. Mm-hmm. And um, I walked in and the, the floor just fell silent because people just didn't know what to say or what to do. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just really strange. And throughout the next few weeks, people avoided me but not on purpose but I think it's because people just don't know what to say or don't know what to do Mm. Um, yeah yeah and because again human reaction to grief is a really strange thing because we all react to it in so many different ways and it's such a personal thing and there is no right or wrong way to go through it Mm. Um, and yeah it was just a really strange experience Um, Mm. but also I had some amazing friends who lived around the corner from us who would help with picking up my daughter from nursery if I was held up so I knew I had that support network and obviously my mother my siblings um, so I had a lot of support around that and that was really helpful but inevitably there was evenings and that's what I really really struggled was was the evenings once my daughter had gone I'd put her to bed I would sit in that empty sitting room in that empty house Mm -hmm. um, with all the memories around and I and I do I I still remember now you know a couple of times just just bawling my eyes out because that was how I dealt with it yeah pretty tough yeah. No, it's it's sad because, uh, well, of course, you have so many things just reminding you yes. on a day to day. And yeah, the moments where you're alone is where you're the most vulnerable. So I totally get it. And did everyone understand your decision to go back to the office that early? No, not everybody. No, <laughs> no. You can imagine people saying, are you sure that's really what you want to do? And haven't you got things to sort out at home? And, and you know, all this, all these things 
things, you know, the questions, because again, people are doing it from a place of love and concern, but I'm quite, uh, I'm quite, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A feisty and determined person. And so when I, when I make a decision, it's like, I'm doing this because actually it's about me and my daughter and my family. Um, so I don't really care what you think, but this is what I'm going to do. And it was really interesting because this happened in the heat. So he died in September. We had the inquest the following January, um, which again was a, a horrible event to have to go through, but it was mm. part of the process. Um, but that also then meant that paperwork and other bits and pieces, I could then start dealing with the, all the legal aspects. Cause of course you don't realize, you know, there's all this stuff that you have to deal with. You know, you've got personal, you know, personal grief, but then you've got all the legal stuff um, as well. And so in the March, so this was about six months afterwards, I uh, fainted at home because what had happened was I had ended up with a really, really nasty chest infection. Mm. Um, and there was, of course, nobody around apart from, I mean, fortunately it happened when, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the circumstances, but, but it was only for a few seconds that I lost consciousness. But obviously my body just said, you can't do this anymore. You need to have some rest. And so I was off work for about three weeks. Mm. Um, and, you know, the bo- body such a, has such a wonderful way of, of reminding us that we need self-care because I'd got into, oh, not overdrive, but had gone to a place where I need to just carry on. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so then I had a, a chest infection. I was absolutely fine after that. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. You, there's only so much you can do physically and mentally. It just drains you. But did your daughter understand back then when she was two? Um, I think she realized that that daddy wasn't there. So she was she was she just started talking a bit. And and of course, as a parent, what you know, I'm not going to lie. But again, what could a two a two and a half year old actually oh, yeah. really focus and understand? And so, of course, there were photos around. And um, my husband's mother, so my mother-in-law, she was very good at again reminding her my daughter because she would go and. and be with her for a day a week and so from that perspective it was uh it was difficult but again I'd rather be honest with my daughter and tell you know communicate with her and so she got used to just being me and her for a while um which is quite nice but um, but yeah it's it's interesting because now and obviously I'll, I'll fill you in on all what's happened in between but I'm always very honest that if if my daughter ever asks about her father then I will give her very honest answers Um, because I think it's important even though he's obviously not around and she doesn't remember him because two-year-olds don't but she she she's created something in her mind through photographs and stories Mm -hmm. I see okay that's good and yeah because you remarried uh yes and how's the relationship going between your first daughter and your new husband yeah Yeah. because she was still quite small so it must have been quite normal for her yes Yeah. And it was really interesting because 10 months after my first husband um, died, I met my second husband on a blind date. Now, again, mm. people, people might be thinking, what? What is going on? You're desperate women. You know, what, what's happening? But I, I, if you think about it, I've been with my first husband since the age of 17. I've not really had any other boyfriends or anything. So for 13 years... I'd, I'd had this person right next to me um, uh, and so I was very very lonely um, and um, uh, somebody uh, at work we were having a conversation 
and uh, I said, oh, what am I going to do? I'm so lonely and, and I don't know what to do and I don't know, I don't know where to go because I, I haven't really dated for a long time. You know, all that sort of, this is before the days. So this is what, 99, 2000, before the days of internet dating, where you actually went to clubs and pubs and met people like that. Um, really? And, <laughs> <laughs> it happened. Or you met through friends or something like that. But, but again, it was, it was interesting because, again, I, I didn't go, really go anywhere. Um, and also I had friends who, again, if you think about it, all in their early 30s, late 20s, who were all married, settling down and, you know, families and things. They didn't re- really want this, this, this person hanging on. So anyway, so I was talking to a lady that I worked with and she said, I've got this friend. We used to, we used to work together and uh, I think he'd be great for you. Why don't I organise a blind date? Um, and of course, first of all, I went, whoa, hang on a minute. Blind date, you've got to be joking. I've never been on a blind date. And then I thought about it and I thought, what what could go wrong? Worst case scenario, I could meet this person and we could either get on or not get on. And, and so anyway, so I went back to her and I said, yes, why not? Why not set this up? And so we had um, a couple of telephone conversations and then we met up on our first date and my uh brother who is uh six 13 years younger than me he was my chaperone <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> old-fashioned stuff so uh we uh we met in uh in uh in Windsor and my brother was my my chaperone to the point that he was he was kind of a distant chaperone so he was just hanging around which I thought was rather sweet but but anyway but so Andy and I went out um and and the rest they say is history but there is history there in that we've been together for about nine ten months he'd met my family Joanna uh, my daughter was was introduced um, to him again very carefully very slowly over a period of time so it wasn't within you know the first few weeks it was you know sort of three months down the line because again I wanted to kind of make sure you know I had to do that protective mother um, of course. I didn't know, yeah I didn't know this man anyway um, it turns out that the uh, lady that got us together is now um, godmother to one of my, our children um, and we still keep in touch after all this time. Um, but anyway, I was saying, so um, Andy and I have been together about nine, ten months, and, and I found out I was pregnant. Ooh. Yes. Turn of events. <laughs> very, very unexpected. We could um, make a TV show about your life, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so that was all a bit of a shock. Unfortunately, um, I miscarried that baby at about 12 weeks. But in the meantime, we had decided to get married because that is something that I wanted to do and, and he wanted to do. But one of the sort of cri- criteria and some of the awful checklist, if you like, before we went out, I knew that I wanted more children. And so any prospective partners had to be someone who, who was happy to take on A, an existing child and B, um, want more children. Anyway, so um, we got married. Yeah, we got married in October uh, 2001 so we celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary this year and kind of fast forward a little bit and I'm working obviously he's working um, moving together and I then uh, got pregnant again lost that one at about six weeks mm. um, and so of course that was all a bit mm, what's kind of going oh, on of here course. and of course in the meantime I'm having to contend with people around me looking at me and going what she's got married again what she's got married again so quickly who is this man particularly um my my former mother-in-law and and other family members on that side because again I get to put myself in their shoes I get it but you know people react to these things in different ways uh anyway so um we then ended up having our first um 
son in 2004, uh, which again was, was great. And then um, our second son came along very unexpectedly as well. But we, yeah, so we're now a family of, um, of five. And just yeah. to answer your question, long way of going, but to answer your question, how did Joanna react and what the relationship was like with her and her, her stepfather? Andy and I have been very honest with each other throughout the whole of our relationship that, that he is not her real father and that if she asked any questions about her real father, her birth father, then absolutely I'm going to answer them. Um, and so for a point, she did um, decide to call um, Andy daddy. Um, but again, that was, her, I, that was her choice. I just suddenly heard it one day. Um, but then when she became a teenager, uh, teenage girls uh, can be quite challenging, as, as we know. And of course, no. the listeners, <laughs> we've all been teenage girls. <laughs> so, so, yes, we can. We can be a little bit challenging, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, it's different styles of parenting. But what I did have to a few times was I would have my daughter saying, mum, have a word with Andy because he's being really annoying then I would have Andy, my husband, saying to me, you need to have a word with Joe because she's being like this. And I said, do you know what? I'm not taking sides here because as far as I'm concerned, both of you are at fault or the issue is between you two and you don't need to involve me. So you two sort it out. And that was a really, really hard stance to take. You know, and of course, there were times when there were rows and you know disagreements and all sorts of things. But it's really interesting because... Uh, she doesn't live with us anymore she's she's got her own life when she went off to university she's got her own life and, and so on but the two of them get on so much better now because again she's an adult and so there's you know they've got a lot more things in common and so on um you know but there's mm. been some tough conversations tough conversations um but yeah and of course that my boys have got an a, a half sister um and it's like you know sibling relationships can sometimes be really challenging um, but again, they're all they're all getting on much better now because they're all older. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's normal to, well, the sibling fights and stuff like that. Like I know, and the more you grow older, the the best it is, because I guess we also, we reconsider some things. We mm. understand how hard it, it could have been for mm. our parents, for, you know, everyone. And I think also uh, comes a lot of gratitude towards I think it's also like just being you know taking care of your own house paying the bills and Mm. like that makes you understand that it's not easy (laughs) and especially if you have kids but it's really interesting Mm. just on that point that you mentioned there because um I am one of these um parents we both are that we expect the children to play their part around the house but also because we want them to have life skills when they leave home of course so my daughter was a typical teenage girl in that um, she didn't have a wardrobe. She had a floor robe. Basically, everything was on the floor. And I used to mm. say to her, if there's anything that you want washed, then stick it in a wash basket. I am not going to sit there going through all the stuff working out that's clean, what's dirty. On the flip side, my boys are great at, they've actually got pretty tidy rooms and they put everything in their wash basket. So I know it's much easier then to do the laundry. And I, I taught her to cook, um, all three of them. I've taught to cook, um, I've taught to clean, all these different things. And she, my daughter once turned around to me and said, uh, particularly when she was living in a shared house as a student, because she used to complain about the other students and how horrible and dirty and disgusting some of their habits were. And she yeah. said, she turned around to me one day and said, Mum, I am so grateful that you taught me these things. 
um, and even in lockdown last year when uh, I've got I've got a cleaner um, because obviously working and, and so on and um, of course she wasn't able to come around so I said to my husband and to the boys um, right you lot are all going to clean toilets because we all live in this house together and you're going to clean bathrooms um, and so I think it's really important you know the, the life skills element teaching them that um, is, is it is a good thing to do yeah laundry all those different things it's dull it's boring but we need it to get through life. We do, we do. And even in my personal experience, I guess I have had the same experience as your daughter, um, <laughs> you know, and it's the same because I was taught all these things and mm. it's actually life skills, like changing a light bulb and like, it is very useful. And yeah. meanwhile, some of my friends, you can see how they never learned that and it's quite a struggle on a daily basis. And yeah, it's like poor, poor habit. So. No, I guess it's it's super interesting and also I mean you're all living together it shouldn't be like you shouldn't rely on one person to do all these things it it takes yeah. a while as well so yeah. yeah no I guess it's it's important to put some responsibility on on the kids and I've definitely had that <laughs> when I was a kid and it's true on the moment sometimes you complain but in the long run <laughs> it's uh it's very worth it so what would you say maybe to parents who are going through grief mm -hmm. and well I know it can be at very like various different stages and also the you know the kids it depends on the kids age but is there anything that you learn in particular? I think the thing for me was um, it's about being honest about how you're feeling and remembering that you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days I mean even now so my first husband has been gone for 22 years this year and every so often I'll hear a piece of music a pop song will come on the radio or something like that and it might set me off now what I mean by that is occasionally there might be a few tears but also it might be just oh I just reminisce and 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 and, and just kind of you know brings up stuff um anniversary still um my daughter graduated and I so wanted her dad to be there but of course he wasn't able to be there and so my advice is is take each day as it comes time is a great healer and I know it's such a cliche but the other thing also is is talk about it find people find a support network I felt that I never needed to go to any counseling or or, or get support from bereavement charities or anything like that but there are other people that will be. And also remember that everybody's experience of grief is different. Um, I was uh, doing some, some training and uh, somebody was saying, I didn't understand, I lost my, my father and I didn't understand why this person who'd also lost their father was not experiencing grief the same way. Why were they doing why this? And I, and I explained, it's because it's a very, very personal thing. Um, and I would always say, um, remind yourself that it's a personal thing and ask for some support and help because actually just saying to somebody, I'm not having a good day or I really miss this person or you know whatever the circumstances are and talking about it keeping not necessarily keeping the memory alive but but again just finding a way of saying okay I realize that this was a part of my life they will always be a part of my life but I've also got other elements and it's my life still to lead. Mm, for sure and so I guess it's the same then if you're someone if you know someone who is experiencing grief is probably then to ask questions on how they can best support you 
yeah. uh, how you can best support them. Sorry. So that's, yeah, because as you said, it's very personal and everyone deals with it in a certain way. So it's like not, ex- not um, assume that they're going to need that, that type of help and rather yeah. ask. Yeah, one of one of the frustrating things for me is is particularly at the beginning stages. So after it first happened, and I hadn't seen people for a while and things like that, people would come up to me and say, "Well, how are you? you know, really, how are you?" And there's yeah. a bit of me who wants to say, "How do you think I'm flipping well am or worse?" You know, dot dot dot. Um, but again, I'm sort of remembering, Soph, this isn't about you know, this isn't about you. It's about them, and they're trying their best to help me and be a support. And again, if you think about it, we always ask people, well, how are you? How's things? And, you know, even if it's just a case of, you know, when we can is, is taking that person for a coffee or for a walk. And if they don't want to talk, don't don't talk. But just the act of being there is quite an important thing. Um, but also don't be scared to reach out to people who are going through grief because it's such a lonely thing that actually knowing that people are around you, because, again, sometimes people in grief won't reach out because they, they, they're, they're too absorbed in, in their own little world. If you think about it, that's, that's where they are. But also just, you know, say, I'm here, you know, I'll do what I can. Um, and then it's just nice knowing that actually there are people who are, have got my back, if you like. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. That's true. And yeah, again, it's, a, it's like, for example, a new mother. Like yeah. they don't necessarily need, you know, new clothes for the baby, but it's like, doing the the laundry for them or you know taking care of like actual you know getting getting them a a cleaning lady stuff like that is actually what helps a lot more when you're busy recovering from anything exactly okay yeah and and it's I think the other thing also if I may add is is Mm -hmm. around um having some difficult conversations and what I mean by that is um my father died um not long after my first husband and I had started dating and we um, obviously had a, a conversation around the fact that, that my father had died and my parents had been married for 20 odd years. Um, and we agreed and said that if anything should happen to the other one, we would expect the other one or hope that the other one would get involved in somebody else and relationships and all that kind of thing. And I know that's a really horrible thing to talk about, but knowing that I had his blessing or permission in a way was a good thing does that make sense of course uh, of course no it's it's I think it's important to talk about it just so that you feel less guilty mm. although you you know obviously you shouldn't be but you know it's it's human because it's your first husband so you know it, it definitely wasn't the plan um so that's why yeah no I, I think you're right like analyzing the possibilities and that's uh, that's very interesting. Is there any last advice that you would like to share? Oh gosh, what would I say? Um, to remember that that the self care bit is important. I know we talk about it so much, but also that grief is an individual thing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a real cliche. You will get past it. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get through it. You will get past it. And I think that's a really really important thing to to make. Uh, is that you will get past it mm, yes that's true it's uh takes time yeah. but uh yeah no that's uh that's very good and i really i respect you a lot for sharing your story 
thank you so much for for opening opening up and you've definitely had a very interesting life so thank you so much for coming okay great uh, stuff and and thank you very much for having me and um please feel free to reach out if you've got any questions or conversation you want to have um i'm more than happy to to be that here perfect we'll put your link in the in the description box yes, so please. if anybody wants to reach out to you they can they can click in the description thank you Absolutely. so much Sophie. thank you thank you so much for listening feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.